Good morning. My name is Dan. I am uh, one of the preachers here at Grace Fellowship, and it is my it is my pleasure to continue to take us through the Book of Proverbs as we consider wisdom and how it affects our lives. You can go ahead and turn to Proverbs. I'll be bouncing around a good bit this morning. Um, so, uh, assuming the uh, the slide guy can keep up with me, if he can't. Keep your Bible handy because I'm going to call out some chapters and verses as I continue. Let's look at God's Word together. Whether you're a male or you're female, the average person will speak and write and type a total of about 16,000 words today. It's either It's easier than you think. My daughter knocked out a couple hundred on the way over here. Um, Over the course of a 75-year lifespan, that's about 438 million words from one person, which is the length of about 550 Bibles. You can be a boy or a girl, You can be introvert or extrovert, or you can be speaking to others, or you can be speaking to yourself. And no matter where you fall in that spectrum, you will communicate an enormous number of words during your lifetime. And what most people, and I have to say even most Christians, do not know is that we are responsible to God for every last one of those words. How many of those 438 million words will bring glory to God? God made words. Ever stop to think about that? God not only used words to speak the world into existence, But he used words to speak to people. And throughout history, God God did this not only in supernatural ways, in, in fires and in clouds and through prophets and to prophets. He spoke when Jesus walked among us and he speaks to us every time we read our Bibles. We read God's words. And all 800,000 words in that Bible that you're holding are written For one purpose, so that you might know God and do what he says. God's words are for that aim. And if you were here last week for the Sermon on Wisdom, the first in our short series in the book of Proverbs, what I just said should sound very familiar. Wisdom is a a journey to improve at knowing and doing what the Bible says. Just as Solomon, the author of Proverbs, wrote down words to teach his son how to know and follow God, and just as Jesus taught his disciples how to know and follow God, which is why we're here, we ourselves can read God's written word, and in doing that, we can know God and we can follow God. Passing God's word on to the next generation of people. So I say all that, I use all of those words to open this sermon on speech, with one small phrase that you're going to hear a lot this morning. Words matter. 
whether you use just a handful of them today or whether you blow past 16,000 by lunch, every word matters. Every word you speak and even every word you choose not to speak reveals wisdom, whether you're on a journey towards God or towards yourself. If you look at your outline, here's how I'm going to walk us through this collection of Proverbs on speech. The first point I'm going to make is today is that words flow from the heart. Second, words bring life or death. Third, words are meant for quality and not quantity. And finally, we'll make gospel connections and some applications with the final point. God speaks wisdom into humble hearts. So first, words flow from the heart. To begin, I'd like to read the first four verses of Proverbs, chapter 1, which Peter walked us through this week. Now, my aim is not to rehash what he said, though it is worth repeating. But instead, I'd like to show you the logical progression of how wisdom relates to speech. So let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So that progression started in verse 2 and 3, if you saw it. The first thing that happens with wisdom is that we know it and we understand it. In other words, we read God's word, God impresses his word on us. Somebody hands us a Bible and we read it. And those words then settle in our hearts and in our minds. That happens if we receive them, as verse 3 describes, if they truly settle in and they settle in our hearts. In other words, it's like God's word is planted in us and grows in us. So the words of God take shape inside of our hearts and in our minds. Compare this, as Jesus did later, to a seed being dropped on the ground. It has to settle and take root, and then can it do what seeds are born to do? Grow. Verse 4 in this case is the connection to speak and, and what that flourishing looks like in people. Wisdom is then given to the simple and the young. God's words are passed on to other people through people. So that's the logical progression. We first receive God's words in our hearts and in our minds, and then it flows back out through our mouths to other people. In short, words matter because we use words to give people God's words. That's how speech is supposed to work. Proverbs 22, 17 through 18, phrases it nicely. Incline your ear... And hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. And all that might sound pretty elementary. But generally speaking, people don't think like this about how words connect to the inside of a person. Typically, people only look at words on the surface level and we don't connect them to deeper beliefs. They're just words, right? But look at what Solomon is saying. The inside of the person, that's ground zero. Words of wisdom come out of that. And what's more, 
only that. You can only speak words of wisdom if you have a wise heart. But what if the person isn't wise? Can they fake it? There's a popular image that some people like to use to illustrate this. And it's, it's, the, it's the picture of stapling fruit to a tree. Here's what I mean. If the root of a tree is dead, so it can't produce anything, and you staple a ripe piece of fruit onto it, the tree looks useful, but it isn't. Some people are like this when it comes to words. They hear God's word, and they can perhaps even repeat it back. They look pretty useful. But those words of wisdom have not really been received. You know when you look at the root of that person. How can we tell if this is true in ourselves or in other people? That's what the rest of the sermon is about. For that, we're going to look at our next two points, which should help us look at our words in order to understand our hearts. So point two is words bring life or death. The following will be sort of a diagnostic test based on our words and how they can connect back to what we believe. So words bring life or death. And I'm going to start with the proverb that gave me this point title. It's uh, chapter 18, verse 21. Take a minute for the slide to catch up there. Has to move pretty fast. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. And those are strong words. Death? Life? There's no gray area? What, why is there such strong contrast given to, to words? And what's more, just a tongue, a small muscle. This can seem surprising because, again, culturally, people don't insist on this type of thinking. At the most, consider how people view words. Break down those 16,000 daily words. Normally, here's how we organize words. Here's a pile of words over here, and these words are good. And I should say these words. Over here is perhaps a smaller pile of words. Those words are bad. I definitely shouldn't say those words. And the rest of them, this enormous pile, we typically view as neutral. They're just there. But since words are from God, and words are for God, there's a spectrum, and it only goes two ways. Solomon is correct to reserve only two categories for every word. They either bring life or death. Or you could say they're either for God or against Him. Each of those 16,000 daily words you use falls into one of those two categories. That means we have to dig below the surface and think. Let me give an example. Parents, how often have you approved a television show for your children because of its rating? You check Internet Movie Database, okay, there's no swearing. There's like maybe a, one that's kind of, like they kind of use the substitute word. But as you settle in to watch with them, you slowly realize, you know, I don't think anybody's getting murdered here. And I don't think there's anybody swearing. But 
this show is teaching my child that it's fine to disrespect parents and be wild. But nobody swore. So the question to ask is, is this show for God or against Him? The question to not ask is, what is this show rated? Here's another example. Perhaps a person doesn't swear, but they abbreviate swear words. Or they use subtle variations. Or even more, perhaps a person flatters another person with kind words, but internally they're doing it for selfish gain. They're doing it for approval. You can't just stick to the words. You have to go below the surface and say, were those words really for or against God? That is the question that needs to be answered of every word that comes out of our mouths. Life and death. And this doesn't just affect the person that you're talking to. That's the back half of 1821. People eat the fruit of their own tongues, which is a very weird visual. But I want you to imagine a downward spiral. I want you to imagine somebody who's speaking harshly to a person out of selfish motives. And eventually, that person begins to fracture relationships. And they break relationship after relationship. And so the speech from the person just gets worse and worse and worse. That is the fruit being eaten. You're, what, what's happening is you're gradually moving away from God and towards yourself. This is Romans 1. You're just getting the logical progression of sin. I'm going to share one more proverb that seasons this a little bit more vividly. Chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Harsh words literally cut into people. And I think we can all remember phrases like that, can't we? I bet, even though I just preached in December, and most of you probably forgot 99% or more of the words I said, I, I, I forget about 90 of them. But I bet you can remember stuff from when you're 10. That thing that somebody said to you, or that thing that you said to somebody, and it will not go away. Those words have cut you to the heart. And your heart will not stop bleeding. It might be bleeding this morning. But look, Fruit doesn't always have to be bad. Look at the back half of that verse. A wise person speaking can actually bring healing. I remember occasions where I sinned against my wife in some pretty bad ways. There was one particular day where I thought, she's really going to let me have it. I had earned it. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not going anywhere. Her kind words revealed a forgiving heart. 
And the fruit of those words brought healing. And they were a shadow of the depth of the forgiveness that I had in Jesus. And my wife got to take part in that. I think we both moved a little closer to Jesus on that day. So words matter because they bring life and death. The right choice of words matters. And those words that we choose provide a window into our very hearts. And there's another window we're going to look at, and it is the window of the amount of words that we use. Point three, words are meant for quality and not quantity. Ironically, this will be my longest point. I'll start with one key proverb. Chapter 26, verses 4 through 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That's a good verse to take somebody to when you want them to be busy for about four hours figuring out what you just said. This seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? You know, should I answer or should I not answer a fool? How many times have you wondered in the middle of a conversation, should I even say anything? Or should I just, maybe I'll walk away and they'll just keep talking. <laughs> Go for a drink break or something. Usually politics or religion are involved. The point of this proverb, though, is not a quick fix in a script. I think that's how we often like to use the Bible. The point here is a simple reminder that situations are very complex. There's a time to speak and there's a time not to speak. That's all it's saying. For example, imagine the first scenario. Somebody's saying something foolish. You wonder, should I say something? Now, if you say something, you run the risk of being sucked into their argument. And some people are really good at pulling you in. So the correct answer is just close your mouth. And you'll probably learn that via experience. But the second half of the proverb tells us that there is a time to speak. There is a time where you should say something. You run the risk of letting a foolish person just go around assuming they're wise. And it is maddening to not know the right answer, isn't it? I wish it would just be like a one or a two. And it would pop up on my little mental dashboard and I'd know what to do. But elsewhere in the Proverbs, we do get a little bit of clarity. Chapter 15, 28. The heart of the righteous person ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Again, culturally speaking, people don't usually consider such strong contrast. Instead, people usually do one of two things when they're thinking about whether they should speak or not speak. Number one is they, they just never speak. They speak no words. They give up. They assume, my words have no power, nothing can be done here, and we just go about our days not saying anything to anyone. Others are more like me. I discovered how prone I am to speak without first listening and understanding to what the other person is actually saying. Coincidentally, this was around the time I got married that I learned this. I often found myself focusing on my own response halfway through my wife's sentences. 
And so my mouth often just poured out evil. What advice would you have given me? What advice would you have given me if you were to sit me down as a newlywed and catch me doing this? You know, maybe I should just shut up. And that would solve the problem, right? Maybe I should read a good book on listening. Maybe I should go to a couple's retreat. These are all good things, by the way. Especially the shutting up part. (laughs) But I actually discovered something else over the years. I discovered that I don't simply have a problem with my words. I have a problem with my heart. No skill training will fix that. If my mouth pours out evil, right here is where it's coming from. Right? The words reveal the heart. In those moments, I reveal that it is about me. That's where I'm moving. Away from God, towards myself. When we speak words of death, we reveal dead hearts. When we know we should speak and we do not, we reveal dead hearts. When we speak when we know we shouldn't, we reveal dead hearts. I mean, just consider the high calling of all these Proverbs. And by all means, keep reading. There were dozens of verses that are just in scraps on the floor that just didn't even make the sermon. There's that many. This is like eight of like 50 that I found. Consider the high calling of what we're talking about here. Every single word that comes out of our mouth that we speak to ourselves, to one another, that we type, Now consider Jesus. Consider Jesus whose words were always wise. Every word that came out of his mouth. They were always wise because those words came from a purely wise heart. God's heart. Now consider something else. Jesus, the author of words himself, as he faced death, And he was falsely accused by men. He did not speak. He didn't speak even to save his own life. And in that silence, Jesus, I think, most clearly told the nations what God's heart is like. A heart full of mercy. Dying. So that our evil hearts could be clean. They could be fixed. They could be wise. And so that from our words we could speak of his glory. If you are a Christian, your words matter. And your only hope for wise speech is to ask God. And if you are not a Christian, 
Know this. All words of wisdom come from a wise heart. And a wise heart is a gift that only God can give. You cannot get it. And he offers it to you freely. So in light of that, let's consider some applications before we move on to our last small point. Application number one, just consider your words. Are they for or against God? Perhaps your words are simply discourse, just full of anger, sarcasm, or biting. They hurt people. Perhaps they're more subtle, as we read in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, which I won't read, but perhaps they conceal violence. Perhaps they're flattery with, with ill intent, passive aggression, things like that. Perhaps you are like me and you you speak without a filter. It just comes out. Or you're listening to retaliate rather than to understand. You just don't know when to talk and when not to talk. What do you do? What do we do with all these words? Number two, application number two. Cry out to God for wisdom, and He will change the way you speak. It's not just settle for clean hearts. We can actually say better words. Have your words broken friendships? God offers forgiveness. And restoration is possible. Have your words broken your spouse? God offers forgiveness, and restoration is possible. Have your words broken your children? God offers forgiveness and restoration is possible. Kids, have your words hurt your brothers and sisters? You can be friends again. God offers forgiveness and restoration is possible. And lastly, and I could probably preach an entire sermon on this one, Have you spoken lies to yourself? Have you filled your days and your nights with malice towards yourself? I'll never be forgiven. God can't fix me. There's no hope. God can help you rewrite that script. I'm rewriting it now. In all cases, let us humble ourselves. Our last point. God speaks wisdom into humble hearts. Here's the good news. This is good. Your voice is broken because of your heart. And the Lord will not only give you a new heart, He can give you a new voice. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 say this. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding... If you seek it like silver and you search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
catch that? God in his great mercy actually allows us to use our ruined voices, even as fools, to cry out for wisdom. And his promise is that he will give it to us. We can use our foolish voices to become wise if we only ask the right person. And that person is God. We can speak God's words to our own hearts. We can ponder and pray and wait and then speak words of healing to hurting people. We can be like snipers aiming right at the heart. Instead of just blasting them off in chat rooms, we can just aim, bam, right at the heart. You don't need to use 16,000, but you can. You're allowed to do that. And we can do all this, not of our skill, but we can try and fail and try again, trusting God. Why? Because of His words. So I close with Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. This is our hope as we try and fail to do this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. He is a shield to those who take refuge. His words are true. His words are always true. That, that is our hope. This morning we remember the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before his death. Words that would encourage them through some very, very hard times. These words would endure. They encourage us this morning. Those words. They encourage us this morning that Jesus rose again. And he lives forever. Because those words are true, we can trust in those words. And we can trust that we're forgiven. No matter what our words have done. Because God will not leave us. So we're going to take communion. And if you believe, if you trust the words of God, then join us.